Welcome back to Behavioral Health 2.0. I am Suki Norris, and thank you for taking a listen. In this episode of the podcast, we're taking a break with our social determinants of health and looking at patient experience. No worries, we will get back to social determinants of health. But at this time of year, when we're taking care of others and ourselves, our experience in shopping, restaurants, and healthcare should be positive and welcoming. So let me get started. Whole person care, integrated care, shared decision-making, and patient portals have two things in common, patients and engagement. While each of the elements deserves attention, patient experience is the focus. There are many definitions of patient experience, but I think that the following provides a compilation as we put together all of those definitions. Patient experience encompasses the range of interactions that patients have with healthcare system, including their care from health plans, from doctors, nurses, staff in hospitals, physician practices, and other healthcare facilities, such as behavioral health, even if they go out to an exercise place. As an integral component of healthcare quality, Patient experience includes most all aspects of healthcare delivery that patients value highly when they seek and receive care, such as timely appointments, easy access to information, good communication with healthcare providers, communication that is understood not by the healthcare providers, but by the patients, by you and me. As an aside, while not specifically stated, one reality of healthcare comes through in the definition. Patient experience is one of three measures that make up the healthcare triple aim. The triple aim refers to a method for reducing costs by focusing on improving the patient's experience and improving the health of populations, and therefore reducing the cost of care. A cynic might think that patient engagement is just a method to reduce costs, but cynics aren't welcome during the holidays, so I prefer to think of it as a method to break down the wall between medical and individual to provide individual respect. The change in the relationship between doctor and patient reminds me of an old joke. A doctor died and went to heaven. When he got to the gates, he found that there was a long line to get in. He went to the front of the line and told the angel that since he was a doctor and that doctors are important people, he should be allowed to bypass the line and go right in. The angel replied, up here, everyone is equal. Now go go to the end of the line and wait your turn. The doctor grumbled but did what was requested. After a while, someone with a white smock and stethoscope walked right past the line and straight in. The doctor ran right back to the angel and said, hey, how come you let that doctor right in and not me? The angel replied, that's not a doctor. That's God playing doctor. When patient experience is the rule, this joke will no longer have an audience. So as we break down the components, the first one we're going to look at is shared decision-making. Shared decision-making is a process where patients and clinicians work together to make health decisions that follow the patient's priorities. The value of shared decision-making is the inherent 
collaboration that results in a collaborative medical decision. Shared decision-making cannot require a specific level of education or a specific economic status. It should be available to all patients without regard to these issues or any others. When applied, shared decision-making can really bridge any health disparity that might otherwise occur. Because if you think about it, if your health professional takes the time to bring you into the decision, and that decision may be a decision about you or one of your children or somebody for whom you're responsible, even an older adult that you take care of, if the doctor takes you in and gives you the information such that you can understand it, that you can hear it, and you can process it, then you can be an active participant in the decisions that need to get made. What I want to do next is take a look at a couple of issues that I tend to focus on and see how patient experience has an important part in them. The first is substance use. In some ways, patient experience has been involved with substance abuse probably for the longest time because patient-centered care is really a cornerstone of substance use disorder. Patient care is defined as providing care that is respectful of and responsive to individual patient preferences, needs, and values, and ensuring that patient values guide all clinical decisions. Now, this is patient-centered care, and you can see the close relationship it has to shared decision-making. Patient-centered care really facilitates a patient's access to care and commitment to care, which are both key elements of substance use disorder treatment. If you think about it, while a family can do an intervention, bringing that person into care and keeping that person in care without a lock and key on the door requires that the patient and the provider agree on the nature of care, on the care that will be provided. Patient or shared decision-making, patient-centered care, patient engagement also plays a part with mental health treatment. But mental health treatment provides a unique challenge to patient experience. But if we agree patient experience is critical, we have to figure out how to apply it to the complete continuum of care, which will include mental health services. With mental health services, the challenge may not be the providers, but the stigma attached to the treatment. Patients may not want their information shared across the healthcare continuum to all their healthcare providers. Other issues might be privacy requirements, involuntary commitment, and the shortage of providers. But we cannot treat the fact that these potential problems exist as an excuse to not include patient engagement in mental health. Because about one-third of people with serious mental conditions have medical conditions, excuse me, have mental health symptoms. Given the relationship between the two, for patient experience to be successful, 
We have to remedy the issues, which means we will treat the mental health patient with respect, with an understanding that they too can share in the decision-making. That stigma or fear of stigma for those patients is real and must be addressed by the healthcare system. Because if I am a behavioral health or a mental health patient who is seeking treatment in a patient engagement world where I'm at the center, it's really important for me to understand why my information will get shared broadly to improve the quality of my care specifically. Think about that. My mental health professional needs to know what my physical problems are because they may be feeding my mental health problem and vice versa. For me to be part of shared decision-making of a patient-centered methodology, I have to be willing to share and feel that it's a safe place for me to do so. And when we do that, then we might begin to lessen the fear of stigma and increase the benefits that come from patient-centered care, shared decision-making, and overall by patient engagement. Now, one way that this is being done is through something called behavioral health homes. And it's a model of care that's focused on really integrating primary care and mental health services for adults with serious mentally, mental illness. So, it, But generally, these include something called a health navigator, somebody who can help the client, the patient, with all the pieces of care that come about in the behavioral health home. So in that time, within the behavioral health home, the idea is to support the patient experience in practice and to better the quality of care. However, in one study that I looked at, looked at nine separate components of a successful behavioral health code. Now, these components include integrated organizational culture, population health management, standard team-based approach, integrating behavioral health staff competency, which means everybody in this group of providers has to understand behavioral health in order to deal with a seriously mentally ill patient. Universal screening for health conditions, integrated person-centered treatment planning, social connection, and patient voice. Perhaps those elements better describe patient engagement than I have. What are we talking about here? We're talking about an integrated group of professionals, all who understand the elements of behavioral health such that they understand the patient as the patient is. Then involving that patient within their treatment decisions, in their treatment planning, and in all aspects of their care. And when needed, bringing in a health navigator to assist the patient in moving through the various pieces of this puzzle. When it came time, however, to look at this and to see how it did, providers ended up having concerns related to cost. Also, they were concerned about their ability to provide social services that were not regularly provided by medical professionals, and they were afraid of the time it took to complete person-centered treatment planning. 
Now, if I were to step back and look at those things, because providers have fears related to cost, that really feeds into, do I have enough time to do this? From a patient's perspective, it is, my provider doesn't spend enough time with me, so I understand what's wrong. All I can do is listen. They don't want to hear what I have to say. So the behavioral health homes were really trying to address these issues by providing a space where both patient and provider got heard. Patients were concerned about the need for social connection and the challenges that social connection placed on the way they lived their lives. But other than that, they generally accepted the remaining elements. So with the differences between providers and patients, we can all agree that there's still some challenges to be faced when implementing behavioral health homes. But once implemented and implemented to those elements so that all are in agreement, it provides a real good example of patient experience for those living with serious mental illness. The next area is something called, and you all probably have heard of this one way or the other, integrated care or integrated service delivery. And this is defined as the management and delivery of health services so that clients receive a continuum of preventative and curative services according to their needs over time and across different levels of the health system. Now, this is very similar to the behavioral health home, but one, it doesn't require a level of mental illness. This is for all participants. So if you think about it in this term, think about somebody who suffers a heart attack. It means that I'm going to bring in to the treatment of that heart attack the nutritionist to help change perhaps eating, the behavioral health professional to help with the depression that may come from it, medical management, air, social work to help sort of ease the person back into their life. So you can see how this integrated care as a model can help those people who are living with a chronic disease or a specific disease that requires involvement of many along the continuum of care. One way people are doing this is by integrating a primary care doctor with the psychiatric mental health nurses to manage care. Other programs look to reduce the cost of healthcare with integrated care, specifically with fewer emergency room visits, thinking that if I had access to my behavioral health specialist and my doctor, I wouldn't feel the need to run to an emergency room if I thought I needed care. So like, like the behavioral health home, the idea is to have a single place of contact for the patient so that the experience is consistent. What is that linkage, however, to cost of care? Because now we've heard it come up in several different elements with respect to behavioral health homes. So in 2019, the U.S. spent approximately $3.8 trillion on healthcare. So it's kind of not surprising that all topics related to healthcare, including patient experience, come back to, does it provide a cost savings? And those costs people are looking at include inpatient, outpatient, professionals, and pharmacy. That program in Rhode Island that focused on integrated care found that costs did not reduce, but there were no increase in costs either. 
remember that patient experience is one of the three elements of the triple aim. The question is whether the, the element of the triple aim is equally important, that element of patient engagement is equally important to reducing costs, or is patient experience just a mechanism by which we can then reduce costs? For me, a fear is that patient experience may prove too much of a challenge, and it may be not focused on within the triple aim or in cost-saving measures. So we've talked about a lot of the elements of patient experience, and now I want to just kind of touch on the definition and some information about that concept. Patient experience is how we, as individuals, interact with doctors, clinicians, laboratories, pharmacies, any other person or processes related to our healthcare. Some might say that the focus on patient experience came with the introduction of the triple aim. So before the triple aim, nobody was really talking about how I experienced healthcare. However, I would prefer to think that it rose out of the individual's desire to be acknowledged and the leader in their healthcare decisions. I don't want somebody to tell me how I get better I want them to tell me what my choices are and let me make a decision that is in keeping with the concepts that they've told me. I want to be educated so that I feel like I'm in charge of myself. Really, patient experience is going to require that all healthcare workers, wherever they are, from the front desk to the doctor in the exam room, acknowledge the patient as the key decision maker. I wanna base my decisions on the drivers in my life, not 15 minutes the provider spends with me. Again, I want to base my healthcare decisions on the drivers, the things that are important to me in my life, not the doctor's schedule. In a recent benchmark published by the Barrel Group, found that 63.8% of people surveyed, and these are providers, clients, caretakers, that patient experience is a top priority for them. People were given a choice of three, to choose three out of several different priorities. And patient experience was the top at 63.8%. Well, this is only one study. It does present some evidence that the move to patient experience is more than the triple aim, but important as an individual driver in healthcare. It speaks to my need to make decisions that are right for me. And my decisions may not be your decisions for a host of reasons, where I live, what I do, what I need? How old are my kids? Am I single? Am I married? Do I understand what people are saying to me? Do I feel ignored for who or what I am? Does my provider understand who I am? Not the generic patient, but who I am. Those are the important elements 
that patient experience seeks to include within healthcare. You know, we measure outcomes to determine the value of the care provided. Value is the measured improvement related to the cost of care. Now, I'd ask you then, I'll repeat this, value is the measured improvement related to the cost of care. I don't know about you, but I didn't hear patient experience in there. There was no measuring of the patient's experience of care. In prior talks, I've talked about how so many outcome measures are divined from data that comes from cost data. Cost data is the result of the patient experience. Whether or not I made my own decisions, cost data will be the result of that process. It is not the core of that process. It doesn't show what value those decisions, that decision-making process was to me. Because again, you know, measuring outcomes by cost doesn't address the patient's feelings, perceptions, or experience. I think if we're going to commit to patient experience, we have to change some of our definitions of outcomes. There is one survey out there, the Experience of Care and Health Outcome Survey. And it works to sort of put the patient first. It's designed for behavioral health, but it looks at various measures, including access to care, receiving care without long waits, communication with clinicians, family involvement, perceived improvement in functioning, patients' rights, and then experience with the health plan or insurance. There are no direct relations questions related to cost in any of those questions or areas because this assessment believes that the quality of care is defined, defined by the individual based on what was expected by that individual, not by some third party looking at data that is sort of objective and numbers. It may be the patient experience went beyond a concept of outcomes to the patient's expectations and really are the ex expectations realized. If somebody asks me how my experience was in shopping, in buying a car, in driving a car, in interacting with a teacher at a school, the answer comes at the end as I think back on it and find out, did I get the information I wanted? Did I get the result I expected? Did somebody, was I listened to? Was I respected? Those are the questions that speak to the value of patient experience. So it really comes down to what do you think is value? Is it how I perceive my care or what my care costs? But, you know, payers do require outcomes. So really what it comes down to is patients should be involved in defining what are the outcomes to measure patient experience that speak to whatever this is that the payers want. But give the patients an opportunity to participate in the decisions that need to get made. So a last thought. In 2018, I presented a webinar on 
why true integration requires a primary focus. In the webinar, I suggested that true integration starts with behavioral health and that the dollars spent on all care should be in the hands of the patient because in that way, we know that patients will make the ultimate decisions about care. And certainly in retrospect, it's one measure to develop patient experience. I'm not sure it will ever come to that because not that patients aren't trusted, but is having the dollars in their hand and a complication over and above the complication of the illness being addressed. Anyway, as I stated above, in that patient experience benchmark, 63.8 of those interviewed felt patient experience was a top priority. And while this is really positive, I'm not sure that it gives me hope that my proposition or any proposition that is fully engaged in patient experience may see the light of day. But if patient experience is the right direction, we have to keep moving in it. We have to make the person the center of care without regard to race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, education, or social economic status. It makes healthcare accessible by all, a right for all, just as it should be. Thank you for listening, and please join me next time for the next episode of Behavioral Health 2.0.